Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. This morning, I've been hanging out for this message. This morning, I'm going to talk about, I've entitled this morning's message, The End. The End. Probably the most frequent question that I get asked is this question. Is this the end? Is it the end? And I'm going to answer that this morning so that you will walk away knowing when the end is. So I want us to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We're just going to read here because Jesus, his disciples are very interested in this question. In Matthew 24, we'll just read 1 to 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away. I think that's very prophetic because that particular temple, we'll see what's going to happen there. And he left. God, you're in trouble when God leaves the church. We're in trouble when God leaves the temple. If we're just in the temple doing stuff and God's, God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attentions to its buildings, and they were grand. It was uh, that particular temple was one of the great wonders uh, of the ancient world. It had replaced Solomon's temple. Do you see all these things? He asked. And they're looking. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now we've visited, and many of you have been to Jerusalem. You've visited the Temple Mount. And it's amazing because those stones are massive. They weigh tons some of them several tons. And they used oxen, and they dismantled, the Romans did in 70 AD, they dismantled that temple by hand. It wasn't an earthquake that brought it down. It wasn't a siege from uh, some foreign power blowing it up with dynamite. But they literally threw each of these massive stones down so that not one stone was left upon another exactly what Jesus said. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is across from Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked him basically three questions here. When is this going to happen? When is this temple going to be destroyed? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And so they knew from the parables that he'd already told them. Most of them are in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, just before this. What's going to be the sign? They knew he's coming back again to rule and to reign as King Jesus. And then what will be the end of the age? That word age there is eon, A-I-O-N in the Greek language. It's not the word for world. It's not the geographical, which is gay, G-E. It's a different word, which means a dispensation of time. When is this particular allotment of time going to come to an end where you are going to come back because you've told us that you're coming back. You've told us now that this temple is going to be destroyed, not one stone upon another. When are these things going to happen? 
People today are asking that question, especially as we look around today and what's going on. And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. We've got one in Toowoomba that says that. We've got there everywhere. And will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Have you ever noticed that fear is the spirit of this age? It's almost impossible to turn on the news without something or to read the news without something bringing incredible fear and gripping your heart, going, what's the point of this? This is terrible. This world has to be coming to an end. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And he uses this analogy almost like a, a, a woman about to give birth, and she knows because the pains become more frequent, the spasms are becoming more frequent, that, that these things mean that this is coming. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other. That's why it's important that church never becomes just a spectator's event. We must become grounded in character because what's coming at some point in the future is going to determine your character will be brought out. Amen. If it's just an event and you're not a participant, you don't have any skin in the game, so to speak, your faith will be tested somewhere in, in life. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many, many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel, that good news of the kingdom, will be preached into the whole world. Now he's talking about the physical world here, not aeon or the age or dispensation of time. But geographically, this gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. There's a lot that has to come before the end coming. Again, not the end of the world, the physical world, but this dispensation of time. We're in a worldwide pandemic. There are earthquakes, famines. Nations are rising against nations. Superpowers are poised for conflict. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. A war. The definition of, of a war is where there's a thousand or more people killed in a conflict. I was just reading over the past 3,400 years of human recorded history, there have only been 268 of them, or just 8% in recorded history, where there's been peace without war. There have been at least 108 million people killed in wars just in the last century, the 20th century alone. 
Estimates of the total number killed in wars throughout all of human history approaches one billion people. And out of those billion people, these people aren't even counted, and that's the number of Christians that have been martyred. This past decade alone, according to the study of global Christianity, 900,000 Christians have been martyred in the last decade. That's 90,000 a year, or one Christian every six minutes dies for their faith. Now, that's not way back then. That's right now. There are people all over the world that are being martyred. In other words, they won't bow the knee. They confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and not some other deity or God or whatever, and they die. They sacrifice their life for this gospel. 900,000 people in just the last decade alone. Is this the end? That's the question. My emphatic answer, which I'm 100% certain, is this. Yes, it's definitely the end. In fact, today's date's the 12th of December. We only have 19 days left until the end of another year. Everybody take a deep breath. I had you. You got to admit it. It's like, this is so out of character for Pastor. I can't believe he's saying that. It's not even registering. Your brain's on overload. The end, 19 days. What is he saying? False prophet. No, it's the end of another year. I pulled out a message that I preached 10 years ago almost to this very day, December 2011. Thought I'm going to look and see what I preached at Christmas time 10 years ago to the week anyway. And at the time, there was an ongoing war in Afghanistan about nine years into it. The Brisbane floods, anybody remember those? Earthquakes! Following a, a, a major earthquake, there was a 15-meter tsunami that disabled the power supply, and, uh, and it hit the reactor, the cooling stations at Fukushima, causing a nuclear accident that began on the 11th of March, 2011. Rumors of war with North Korea and Iran and China, and the emergence of ISIS only a few years after that, then I thought, what was going on 20 years ago? Well, trouble with Iraq. Remember those weapons of mass destruction that didn't exist? 9-11, 2001. Y2K! Oh my! At the year 2000, every computer in the whole world is going to stop because they didn't have the foresight to factor in millennial, they only went until the year 2000. People in this church, I remember very well, filling up their bathtubs with water before the New Year's celebrations, stocking up on, you got it, toilet paper? <laughs> stocking up on all the supplies. The grocery stores were emptied out. People were so afraid. 20 years ago, because this thing was going to happen. The end of the world! Yeah, not quite. The end of a year. 
None of it happened. In fact, uh, if you could find a computer that closed down because of the Y2K thing, it'd probably be worth a lot of money. I would reckon it would be worth a fortune, to be honest. Planes didn't crash. All that didn't happen. And yet, there were bad things that happened. Terrorist attacks, of course. In fact, as late as Christmas last year, this time last year, thinking about it, bushfires here in Australia, China, Russia, and now we got a new one, Omicron. It won't be new if you're listening to this message at some time in the future. But it may look like the end of the world, but it's just the end of another year. So my question this morning that I want to answer I'm not going to predict the end of the final thing when Jesus is coming back, because nobody knows that. But I will say this, we need to know how we're going to live. How, how then shall I live? Knowing that even if it's just the end of another year of stuff going on, how then shall I live if it is the end of the whole thing? How then shall I live? I remember about this time of year, 1979, and the embassy in Tehran, Iran, the U.S. embassy was taken over. They made a movie out of it uh, a few years ago. And I remember I was a new Christian back then. Jimmy Carter was president, and Ronald Reagan was about to take over his presidency, been elected. And and they overran the embassy in, in Iran, the U.S. Embassy. And I remember this particular evangelist got up in the church where I was attending. I was a new Christian. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, and he read off virtually the scriptures that I just read. And he said, we got probably six months till the end. He, didn't talk, he wasn't talking about the end of the year. He was talking about the end of the whole enchilada. At the very most, we got three years. I remember sitting there, I thought, my goodness, like I'm, I'm only like in my early 20s. I haven't met the girl of my dreams. I haven't had the joy of having children. My whole future's in front of me, and most of my family don't know Jesus. And I sat there with this sinking feeling in my heart. But some people were ecstatic about it. They were cheering I'm like, why are you so excited that the whole thing's going to end? And I realized something. Some people just want to get beamed out of here, Scotty, because of the problems. They just want it to all end so they can just go to heaven. And the earlier, the better, because their, their life, they don't like it. Whereas my thinking is there's so much to do. There's so much to live. From 1979-1980 until now, we're talking 41 years ago. Imagine if you'd have just shut the door on life and not planned on anything going on past, you know, three months, six months, he said, or three years at the very most. It would have all been over in 1983. My goodness, some of you would have never been born somebody didn't get married or somebody didn't think about family, you wouldn't even be here if that was going to be our attitude, that this thing's coming to an end. Therefore, I'm not going to live 
except short-sighted, except that, that I'm just going to look at the immediate and let fear shut my whole life down. I'm so glad I didn't do that. Very glad, actually. I wouldn't be here physically in Australia if I'd have had that mentality. I remember a movie several years ago, and I don't plug movies too much. Gail says, don't plug movies because sometimes there's some bad things in the movie. And then somebody's going to go, you, I can't believe you watched that. I don't know if there's anything bad in this movie or not. I don't remember, to be quite honest. But it was called A Blast from the Past. Anybody remember it? Somewhere in the 60s, this, uh, I think his name was Mr., I don't know if it was Wilson or what his name. He built a bunker for his family because, because of the nuclear thing that was going on with uh, Cuba and, and America when Kennedy was president, so somewhere back in 61 or something back in that time. And he was so convinced that America was going to get nuked. And so he builds this big bunker. And then a plane crashes or something on top of it. He, they think that the whole thing's happening. They've got supplies. 35 years later, his kids growing up, they've been watching reruns of uh, Happy Days or something, and, you know, and they come out uh, of this bunker to discover eventually to their surprise that the world didn't actually end. And a whole city and suburbs built up around where their house used to be in that bunker. And I think about that. Is that the way that we are to live knowing that the end is coming? At some point, the end is coming. But are we to build bunkers? Have you ever thought about that? I, I thought about that a lot, especially as a teenager growing up during the Cold War where the Soviets and, and America were, had this big nuclear buildup. I thought about, what would I do if it did happen, if I was the last person on Earth? What would I do? And I thought, man, that'd be cool. If I didn't die, everybody else did. That means I could go into any showroom where there's Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And I could just jump in. I thought, nah, I hope they would have fuel. Otherwise, I could go to the petrol station. I could get you know, a can, fill them up with fuel. And I could just tear out of that, that showroom with that, that nasty, bad piece of equipment. And I could smash that one up because there's another one in another showroom. Mercedes and BMWs. Dime a dozen, child's play, just toys for me. And I thought to myself, how sad I'd have nobody to share it with. Before the internet, I couldn't even take a selfie and post it online and tell everybody, look at the best life I'm leading. I could go live in any mansion that I wanted. Build a bunker, hide from society. What a lonely existence that would be. Totally isolated. Not thinking that actually the best thing that life has to offer are those people sitting around you right now and those people that you call family and friends and life itself. I, I came to the conclusion that if everybody else died, I don't want to get a stockpile of guns and shoot people that might still be alive. I'd be like, take my food too because I don't want to live in existence by myself. I don't want to be selfish as I think about the end, wherever that is. I don't want to withdraw into selfishness, build bunkers and stockpile weapons and hoard up a bunch of food so everybody else out there is starving. I couldn't think of anything further from the heart of God. 
Therefore, how shall we live knowing that the end is coming? Whether we see it in our lifetime or not, the end is coming. Blast from the past? No. And my conclusion is this. Keep on dreaming. Even if you think the mark of the beast is here, you have discovered in your firm on what it is. That same preacher back in 79 said that there's a mark that's coming. And he said it looks like this, and he pulled out this little piece of plastic about that big. He said it's, you're not going to be able to buy or sell unless you have this. Do not get one of these. Today, he no doubt has several of them. It's called a credit card. Can't even hardly buy anything. They're going to go to a cashless society. That's the mark. I, I don't think so. I think he's talking about something else other than a credit card. And I don't believe, I'll throw it out there, I don't believe it's uh, a vaccination either. I uh, hate to upset people out there that might be watching this, but I've seen a lot of marks come and go, and I've seen a lot of antichrists come and go from Henry, Henry Kissinger to Gorbachev to Reagan to, the names just keep on coming. But my dream hasn't stopped, and I encourage you this morning, if it's the end coming, don't let it be the end of your dream. Keep your dreams and your hopes alive. It might look like the end, but keep on dreaming. One of my favorite memories growing up in the cold of North America was when around Christmas time it would snow. And I remember like with a childlike wonder, looking out the window, we had floodlights and it's dark and you could just see the snow just coming in, like white out. I'd get so excited, especially if it happened to be Christmas Eve, that was like, well, this is gonna make for an epic Christmas. Watching the snow come down. I'm going to bed, waking up at the, at the crack of light and looking outside and just going, wow. What used to be dark and ugly and slushy and dismal and empty trees and everything else was like a fairyland. The snow would stick to every twig of every branch of every tree and every blade of grass and everything covered in this beautiful white. And I'd look out with incredible wonder because it could be ugly underneath, but all I could see was just pristine, beautiful white before anybody went out, before any car wrecked it, before even footprints, and we'd scramble out there, get our footprints and do angels, and that's where you lie down and do this, and it looks like an angel's wings and stuff like that anyway. But how amazing! Seeing everything covered in white that might have been black the night before, the anticipation. And one of my favorite songs, in fact, it's the most popular single, printed single. I don't know about online and Spotify and all that. But one of the most, uh, the most popular, sold 50 million copies, is White Christmas. A lot of people don't know how White Christmas was written and who wrote it. It was made famous by Bing Crosby, but it was actually written by Irving Berlin. 
Irving Berlin had just, he and his wife had just lost their three-week-old son at Christmas Day. And he sat down and he wrote out, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. He didn't lose his dream because of the ugly situation that life had dealt him. In fact, Irving Berlin was not even a Christian. He was Jewish. But he wrote this, and I'll just read it to you, some of the words. You probably know it. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten, and children listen, even though he'd lost his, to hear sleigh bells in the snow. Oh, the snow. I said, this is his words, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. I said, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where treetops glisten and children listen. I hear sleigh bells in the snow. It's interesting that no matter what the circumstances are, if you have a dream, it's like the snow covering the circumstances. You say, oh, well, isn't isn't that denial? Aren't you just living in denial? No. Faith is never denial, but faith always supersedes reality and calls upon the greater one to change that reality. And it doesn't happen by focusing on the ugliness of life. Jesus never said, focus on the wars, the rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the famines. Think about all the bad stuff that's going on. He says, no, don't let your heart be troubled when all these things are coming. Do not be uh, anxious. Do not let your heart be full of fear because fear freezes people. Fear stops you from going forward. Fear wants to stop you from dreaming. If you're a young person, dream on, young person. I don't know when it's all going to come, but if it does, he's coming back, so that's even better anyway. At the end, he's coming back. The gospel, the good news, will be preached into all the world in every bad situation. Snow is going to cover every ugly blade of grass and branch and everything. Because I'm dreaming. That song was made famous by Bing Crosby in a movie called Holiday Inn. It was only three weeks. It was Christmas time. Three weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which we just celebrated the 80-year anniversary of, December 7, 1941. Three weeks later, Bing Crosby made that song famous. But I think about what they were looking at in their world. The world's at war, England, Australia, all, all the other nations in Europe, they were already embroiled in, in, in a war with the Nazis. And then America comes in now, they're stuck with this war with uh, uh, the Japanese, and, 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 and all hell's breaking loose. And yet Erle, Irving Berlin's song comes out, and it becomes the hit of all the soldiers. In fact, when Bing Crosby toured uh, 
the allies and, and, and the troops, he, he didn't want to sing that song because he didn't want to make them sad, but they kept on requesting it. you got to sing the song. They're sitting in trenches. There are people getting killed all around them, but you've got to sing that song. Well, I don't want to sing it. I don't, don't want to make you sad and, and missing home and so homesick. No, you've got to sing that song. Why? Because there's something in the human heart that needs a vision, that needs a dream. If anybody needs a dream, it's us today. We've got to keep on hoping and keep on planning and keep on dreaming. Because God's on the throne. I get so tired of hearing people with just bad report and fear and everything else where I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming of a white, more than a white Christmas. Jesus gives us encouraging words. He gives us a picture of hope. Listen to his words in John 4, verse 35. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, look, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So if you believe that the world is coming to an end, then you need to look up and look at the white harvest that God wants you to see right now. Matthew 13, I want to read this as well. Matthew 13, 36. So when he left the crowd and he went into the house, his disciples came to him, explain to us this parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, one who sowed in the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The words are the people of the evil one. Look at verse 39. Here is the end of the age. Hallmark of knowing when is this going to come to an end. Verse 39, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. Has that happened? No. Has, is it the end? The end of the year? Yes, I answered that question. <laughs> the end of the age? No. How do you know? Because the harvest is the end. The pandemic's not the end. A war's not the end. Rumors of war's not the end. Earthquakes aren't the end. Famines aren't the end. All the bad stuff that's going on is not the end. The harvest, Jesus said, is the end. No harvest, no end. Amen. Oh, I, I hear all the prophets of doom and constantly banging on about all this stuff. The harvest is the end of the age, not the destruction of the world. So keep dreaming. Expect a harvest, not a disaster. Look for your harvest. Open your eyes and see. Have faith that what God said is going to come to pass. And there are a lot of harvests. The one he's talking about is a harvest of souls, but you need to have a harvest in your life in many different areas. As the end approaches, the most important thing that we can do is keep on dreaming. In fact, we need to plan. These all begin with peace, so I want you to take these on board this morning, but three words. What shall I do? How shall I live with the end coming? Number one, plan. Make plans. 
Make plans to see a harvest in every area of your life, your finances, your family, your world. Look to be a harvest person. Look at the fields. Look at the white. Plan. Second thing, plant. Oh, but the end's coming. I might as well not even bother. No, 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 no. The harvest is the end. So you've got to plant to have a harvest. You need to keep on sowing because a dreamer's always a sower. A sower knows this, that the only way that the sower is going to get more seed to sow, and it says in 2 Corinthians 9, that God gives seed to the sower, not the person that doesn't. So the only way that I can sow, and if I'm a sower, is to get a harvest, because that's where next season's seed is going to come from. It's going to come from this season's harvest. That's where I'm going to get more seed to sow more. So I've got to keep on sowing because the harvest is in the seed, but the seed is also in the harvest. This this season of Christmas that we're in right now that's upon us, I think it's staggering because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, born in a manger. But I could also say, for God so loved the world that he planted a seed. And the history of a seed is one thing, but the future of a seed is always bigger than the history of the seed. A a seed's future is always greater than the seed because the seed has the potential to grow something that's going to have many seeds, much fruit, and a harvest with more seed coming. But if the devil can stop you from sowing during seasons where you think the world is coming to an end, you won't sow anymore. You won't have a harvest. Therefore, you'll have no more seed. And your seed is your offering to God. It's what you're going to give out of the harvest as a thank you, God. Some people, they have trouble with this. They say, well, I'm under grace. I'm not obligated to do that. I don't have to, to either give an offering. And you're right, I agree. You don't have to. In fact, there's a whole lot of things in life that you don't have to do. Husbands, you don't have to say I love you to your wives. You're under grace. You're not under law. You don't have to say that. Parents, you don't have to hug your children. After all, you're under grace. You don't have to. You don't have to brush your teeth. You don't have to take a shower. You don't have to do a lot of things. You don't have to celebrate Christmas. You don't have to do a lot of things in life. Oh, because I'm under grace. I don't have to do that. You are 100% right. So why don't you eliminate a whole bunch of stuff that you don't have to do in life? But a sower says, I get to. I've got to have a harvest. Why? Because I want more seed. I've got to sow more. I want more offerings to my God. I'm blessed, therefore, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Oh, I don't have to. I get to. That's the whole attitude. That's the attitude of Christmas. Second thing people say is, I can't afford to sow anything. Again, I fully agree. You can't afford it. And the woman with the oil, all she had was empty jars and a little bit of oil. She could not afford to, but she did it. The woman at Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, I think it is, she only had that little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. She said, it's going to eat it and die. Me and my son are going to die. 
The prophet says, okay, do that, but first, first, use what you got, make a little bread for me. And when she did that, it just kept multiplying. It wasn't until they ran out of wine at the wedding of Canaan, the first recorded miracle that John records, I think it's in John 4. It wasn't until they ran out and they could not afford it that God did the miracle out of what they were obedient to do. You cannot afford to do this. That's the whole object. You never will be able to afford it until you do it. I remember the call to Australia and I was living in a tent underneath the building. Many of you know my testimony. I'd saved up a bunch of money to come here and God woke me up, arrested me in the tent. The tent was to keep the rats out. I was saving money working at it's the Marriott now. Saved up a, a, about five grand, and God woke me up and said, would you give it away? Like, that's the money I'm going to use to go to Australia. Like, I need that money. You got your final paycheck. You've already bought your, your plane fare. Fear. Fear of doing without. So I went that Sunday, pastor said, we need $5,000, guess what? We're going to lose the manse, which where the pastor lived. So I thought someone else would give the money, nobody did. I came in on the Monday, my, my ministry there was cleaning the church, volunteer, after working. I'm not making me out to be a martyr, I'm not Mother Teresa, I'm just explaining how this works, that you've got, you get to live this. So I said, did anybody bring the money? He said, no. But some business person in the church, full of business people, they five grand would be nothing, spare change. So I said, wait here. I went home, went to the bank, got the money, came back and handed him that. All I had left was my car. Now a guy wakes me up the next week and says, would you give your car away? It's like, yeah, you just want me to have nothing. Oh, I can't afford that. I was going to sell the car. No, somebody needs that car to do Missions work down in Mexico. So the last thing to go before I got on the plane, here's the keys to the car. God bless you. That's it. If I wouldn't have done that, God says, test me, prove me in this. If I wouldn't have done that, I would not know the reality of the provision of God like I do today. I would not, I would not be here physically. I, I, I'm convinced of that. I, I believe I would have beat a path and run from it all, to be honest. I really encourage you. You've got to have a harvest so that you can get some seed, so that you can sow more, that you can get a bigger harvest and keep on sowing. Even though the world looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, do not stop dreaming. Do not stop planting. Do not stop planting. And do not stop. These begin with P. Do not stop praying. Because you haven't lived until you live this kind of life. You have to have a harvest. Come on, somebody say with me. I have to have, I have, to have. My, harvest. my harvest. Genesis 8.22 says this, as long as the earth endures. I don't know how long it's going to be. Seed time and harvest will never cease. That means I will be sowing right up to the, to the rapture. I will sow right up to the last minute of the last day. I will keep sowing because as long as the earth remains, and last time I checked, 
My feet are still on solid ground. This earth is still here. As long as this earth remains, these shall remain seed time oh, and harvest. God's not mocked. Whatever God says, he promises. Whatever he promises, it shall come to pass. Your seed is in your harvest, but your harvest is in your seed. So plant it, plant it, pray it, and give thanks by bringing God the offering or the first fruits of the increase. That's all that he asked for. Well, I'm going to close. I'd like the worship team to come back up. Thank you. God's solution, like I said, was a seed called Jesus Christ. He says, unless the seed goes into the ground and dies, it abides alone. Sad, isn't it? Planting his only son. So that that seed doesn't abide alone, but it multiplies. And I want to pray over you this Christmas. Because I believe that there's so much that you can sow. That you're perhaps fearful to sow because after all the end is coming. That perhaps you're here and you don't want to make plans. There's nothing sadder. I hear of young people all the time that quit planning. So are you going to get married now? What's the point? The world's coming to an end. Are you going to have children? No, I don't want to bring them into this world. It's all coming to an end. People stop living. They stop their plans and dreams, and they stop planting, and they stop. Because it's all coming to an end. Constantly, it's in our face. And I want to say to you, the end is coming in in a few days, the end of 2021. But is it the end of the age? They would have thought it was because in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Christians were persecuted. About 2 million of them lost their lives to Nero and the Caesars and Hadrian and a whole bunch of other tyrants. In Rome there, they lit up the Appian Way leading into Rome with Christians dipped in in pitch. That's where the uh, word Roman candle comes from. They marched them into the Colosseum, fed them to lions, marched them out on ice where they died naked. All all but one of the disciples was killed or martyred, except John who wrote the Revelation. He was put on an isle called Patmos where he broke up stones. He's the only one. Everybody else died. Peter crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. So they put him upside down. Paul, every one of them. They were not afraid for their life. And I encourage you right now, do not let a spirit of fear grip your heart. Do not let a spirit of fear cloud your vision. Do not let a spirit of fear captivate your attention. But keep your eyes fixed upon the prize. And know this, lift up your eyes, he says, and look because your fields are white for the harvest. And the harvest, not the calamity and disasters, not the virus, the harvest is the end. And that harvest, my friends, is still waiting for you and for me. Plant it and plant it and pray it in, amen? keep on praying. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you right now 
for every person here. If you're here this morning and you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, or perhaps you've walked away from him, I want to say, welcome home. You can come back to him right now, or you can give your heart to him. Don't give your heart to fear. Give your heart to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. It would be my pleasure to see you counted as that harvest of salt. So if you want to do that, we're all going to pray together. But if that's you, you want to pray this prayer, I, I want to include you in on this prayer this morning. To ask Jesus Christ into your heart. And he'll say, let, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me. Believe also in him who sent me. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear God, I ask Jesus, your gift into my heart. Jesus, I give you my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.